Okay. Hi, everyone. Um, do you kids want to come up the front? Uh, and any others? And Jordan, that was, that was so well read. Where's Jordan? That was really cool, man. All right, who else is coming up? Come on, you squigglers, you scamps. I'm going to try to do this in a way that grown-ups can see as well. Right, you guys all here? Good. Okay, I've got some things in here. I want you guys to tell me what they are as I get them out. Can you see this one? What is it? Yeah, is it all together? What's missing? I know. Huh. Hey? A little bit of the handle is there. I tried to glue it back on, but it fell off. Right, and this? That small pot, candle, candlestick holder, candle holder? Yeah, good. I'm not sure actually what it is. It used to be all round and nice and blue, but it was in a fire. It was in a big fire that burnt down um, a big fire, and it all melted and kind of went wonky, which is what happens when glass gets really hot. So it still sort of works, but it's a bit... Bent out of shape, huh? What's this? Um, a old tin can. Does it look good? No. no. Rubbish. Rubbish. <laughs> Does, doesn't it? Kind of rubbishy. Alright, last one. Oh no. What's this? That's not going to work, is it? Broken mug. Okay. All right. Now, I want you guys to think, imagine you were in a place where it was really dry and you were really thirsty and you'd been working hard and you were like, ah, I really need a drink. Okay? And then you find some water, right? in maybe a, uh, could be a lake, but somewhere where it's hard to get out. If it was a lake, you could just bend down and drink, couldn't you? Sort of like that. Like a dog. Um, Or a rabbit. But what if you couldn't reach it with your head? Maybe because it was in a deep um, bucket, or maybe you just needed something to get it out with. All right? Which one of these might do the job? to help scoop water up to your mouth. Yeah. Um, the, tin can. the tin can would work? Looks a bit looks a bit looks a bit. The mug? The the, well let's see. Let's have a look. The let's have a look. Does this one hold water? Yes. That's right, doesn't it? So you could use that to drink from, couldn't you? It would hold water. What about this little bent one that's been through the fire? That hold water? Not so much, but that's, that's okay. You can fill it up lots of times, right? What about... Should we try this one? No. Oh, it's going to be tricky. Well, it holds a little bit. What do you think? No. Yes. yes, I agree. It holds a bit. What about... Oops. What about this one? No. Yeah. Is it going to leak? No. no. It's all right, isn't it? All right. Do you know what? We 
are like these cups. All right? None of us is perfect. We're all a bit broken up and battered, and some of us have been bruised and hurt, and some of us are broken, and some of us have been through the fire, and some of us are missing bits. But we can all hold water. We can all hold water. We can all hold real water. Not just water for drinking, but the water of Jesus. All right? And I want you guys to remember this because sometimes you think, if I had a choice, if I had a really nice cup here, like a really nice cup, which I don't, but if I had a really nice cup, or this one, or even this one, and said to you, which one would you rather drink from? You might choose the really nice cup. Yeah, or a teacup. But in fact, these all hold water. And the water they hold is all the same, isn't it? It all came from here, the source. It's all the same water. And it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. It doesn't matter if you're missing bits or you've been through the fire or you're broken. You can all hold water. You can all hold the water of Jesus. And you do all hold the water of Jesus. All of you. All right? And nothing can break you to the point where you won't hold Jesus and where he can't fill you up. Right. Yeah, how is this? All right. Thanks, guys. I think the Bubbles and Crash, you can head out to Bubbles and Crashville. And the rest of you, you probably better head back to your seats. And I want to tell you about... Yeah, I'll, I'll stand. Hi, everyone. Again. Uh, when I was growing up, my dad, uh, for reasons that are a bit of a mystery and will remain so now, uh, used to love having animals around. He was a scientist, but he actually was a kind of hidden... There was an there was a animal lover hidden within him. So well, growing up, we had a huge range of pets. We had a frilled-necked lizard, we had an owl... We had goannas and frogs and mice. and I clearly remember my dad taking these little white mice and dipping them in food colouring. So they came out pink and blue and all kinds of interesting colours. That was probably a bit of animal cruelty there. But anyway, um, can we just go back a, back a slide? So that, that's me in the middle and my two sisters. And you can see my sister, Lou, is holding my cat, Esmeralda. And in front of us is a kangaroo, which we had for a while too. Uh, that was pretty cool. And then the next photo... You can see is our peacock. That's my sister Annie with our peacock. We had a peahen that went with it. And if you lived in Dalkeith sometime around the uh, mid-1980s, you would have probably known our peacock because they used to fly like you would not believe. You think peacocks are pretty kind of beautiful, sedate animals. Let me tell you, they think they can fly like a concord. And, and what's more, when they fly, they make a noise like this. I don't know if I can do it. Yeah, that's pretty, that's about right. And so for a radius of about three kilometres around our house, everyone knew that sooner or later this peacock would land on their roof, making that noise and, you know, just making a pet. So I used to get very adept at climbing into people's houses, stealing our peacock back and trying to... Anyway, 
That's, so that was peacock. That was our peacock. And the next one is, oh, there's the cat again, Izzy, and there's some ducks and me lurking in the background. Um, anyway, there was other animals that came and went over the years. But I want to tell you today a bit about my cat, Esmeralda. So all of these pets and animals that we had and produce um, were sort of shared by the family. But I really wanted a cat. And finally, when I was, I don't know how old I am there, I got given a cat called Esmeralda. And I loved Esmeralda a lot. And I used to sneak her in and sleep, she could sleep on my bed and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it happened that we had to go away for a couple of months. And so I lent my cat to the Boromers down the road. There's a little bit of grief here. I asked the Boromers to look after Ezzy. And the Boromer girls, Kathy and Kirsten, still, still having trouble getting past this, looked after her in a manner of speaking. When we got Ezzy back after a few months, they had, they had shaved a checkerboard pattern into her fur and coloured her in. So she looked kind of like a checkerboard. Now, I can't explain this, but I thought dipping the mice in multicoloured ink was bad to make them pink and blue. Shaving a cat and colouring it in, that's, that was something else. And... Um, that, was, that, was, that, I, I, that took a bit, bit for me to get past. In fact, you know, 35 years on, I'm still... I'm still the, the funny thing is, right, that somehow Esmeralda, it was like a weird, you know, messed up thing where she actually then developed a love for this family who had mistreated her. It was kind of like a, you know, semi-abusive relationship. And she went to live with them. It was like that was it. So not only did they abuse my cat colour it in and make it into a checkerboard, she then went to, to live with them. And about 15 years later, she was still living. They'd moved to Melbourne and she was still with them. And I actually caught up with them in Melbourne and my cat was still there. My, no cat, no longer my cat. So that was a painful time. That's it. i got nothing else. <laughs> I want you to imagine that you had something you loved dearly, maybe a pet, a rabbit, a cat, and you ask them to look after it. And something happens to you or to your animal, like happened to me. I love this rabbit. Take care of it. Look after it. Yes, I will. I'll do that. But when you get it back, your rabbit is terribly sick. An ear is missing. He can't hop. He won't eat carrots anymore. Your friend has not looked after them. Has not looked after your rabbit. You have been... Let down. So let me ask you, the next time you go on holiday, are you going to ask your friend to look after this rabbit again? What do you think? No? Probably not. Well, this is what today's Bible story is about. We don't exactly know what the nature of the altercation or the disappointment was between John and and Paul. We know that he jumped ship. We know that he deserted them in, in um, Pamphyla. Um, but we don't, we don't actually know what the content of that was. Did John get scared? Did, was John missing people? Was John? We don't know what happened to John Mark. We don't know what it was. But it obviously had a significant impact on Paul. To the extent that when they were working out their next steps... Paul didn't want to give John a second go. 
He didn't want to give him a second chance. Barnabas did. That's what we heard in the story. Barnabas says, let's take this guy. Let's give this guy John. Uh, let's have him with us. So John, Barnabas saw some, something in John Mark that he thought, yeah, look, we should give this guy a second go. But Paul couldn't or didn't see that and wouldn't extend trust to John Mark again. So John Mark has broken Paul's trust. And Paul thinks, I can't trust this guy. I don't want to work with him again. I don't know if you've had an experience like that. I have. When we, when we were thrown out of Afghanistan or when we had to evacuate Afghanistan in 2001, my team leader at that point, um, we, we had an, an agreement that, that in the event of an evacuation, if you weren't at home, all of the things you held dear, you'd keep in a vac bag. Um, so, so Julie and I had put in our vac bag some photos, uh, the opal I gave her when we got engaged, her flute, my journals were in there, some special little things of Pieta's who was just a, a baby. There was a couple of other things in this vac bag. And we were out of Afghanistan, um, or we weren't at home when, when the evacuation came. And I, I, I just hoped, you know, we knew that we should try to get each other's vac bags. So I was thinking, I hope Bruce has got our vac bag. Um, anyway, everything else you can kind of, you know, didn't worry too much about. Uh, and when we were, so we're in Peshawar at this point on the border of, in Pakistan, and, uh, and I remember clearly the Red Cross plane coming in, bringing the last people out of Afghanistan, and Bruce was on that flight, and I, I remember not wanting to be disinterested in his welfare, but I could see he was okay, and I said to Bruce, how are you? You, you here? Good? You okay? Yep. Did you get our vac bag? And it, um, <laughs> it, sounds so, it sounds insignificant, doesn't it, um, a, a bag? But somehow um, it's, it's still a very powerful thing for me that he let us down. And I thought, I wouldn't have done that. I would have, I would have, did, I would have done what it t- took to, to get your stuff. And I said to myself, I will never work with you again. And I said to the executive director... I'm never going to work under him again. I can't trust him. And uh, it was interesting. A few years later, we were on the same team, and um, I had to work with him. Um, and I had to find within myself somehow the, the grace to trust this guy. And I'm not sure I trusted him in the same way. I didn't have to work under him. In fact, by that point, I was the team leader. Um, but I somehow had to find within myself the grace to think, Bruce just couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. He was scared. He couldn't, he couldn't go up against the Taliban in that environment and say, I need to get this thing. I know I would have tried to do it. I can't say I would have been successful, but I know I would have tried. But that's my personality. He couldn't do it. So think back and put yourself in Paul's situation. This guy has let you down badly. Probably all of you have got a story of being let down and hurt. And mostly, it's anger, self-justification, pain, betrayal. You didn't put enough effort in. And it takes a while before you can look at it from their point of view. I was scared. I couldn't do it. They were asking too much of me. 
I don't know what it was for Bruce. We never really were able to talk about it. But as time went on, and I spent time with him in, a, in, a, in the subsequent years, I was able to look at him and go, they were, they were asking too much of you. You couldn't do that. <clears throat> Barnabas, perhaps he hadn't been as badly hurt in the altercation, the dispute. Perhaps he'd been a bit more peripheral to it. Perhaps that's why it was easier for him to want to give John Mark a second go. Or perhaps he was just further down the track. Perhaps he had a different personality. We don't really know enough about it. But Barnabas said, let's give this guy a second chance. I want you to think for a moment, and maybe... It's a bit of a risk. Julie said, do you really want to do this? Maybe some of you have got something you'd be able to say or put your hand up to. Because we all let people down. If you haven't been, if you haven't let someone down, then you've had the experience of being let down. Sometimes badly, sometimes catastrophically. Husbands hurt wives. Wives hurt husbands. Children hurt parents. Parents fail to live their children and fail to love their children. Friends don't stand up for you when you need them to. People tell your secrets. People shave checkerboard patterns into your cat and then colour it in. So here's the first question. Who has been let down and hurt? Who has let someone down and hurt other people badly? Does anyone want to say what it was? Failure to be responsible? That you, for you? Thanks, Peter. And being too afraid to act. So a feeling of having let down God? Yeah, I reckon some of us can identify with that. Anyone else? Yep. Well, we all, we all, we're all on a journey towards being able to love more unconditionally. Well, thanks for sharing those things, you too. And if you haven't, uh, if, you, if you think or are thinking at this point, ah, oh, yeah, I would like to share that with someone, then do. You don't have to do it here. But um, we carry these things around in our hearts and they don't go away. They sort of sit there, hurt or having hurt people. Um, I remember when I became a Christian, when I was 21, so a couple of years ago, um, I, uh, after a while, had a sense that I needed to ask people's forgiveness for ways I had hurt them badly, uh, sometimes years before. 
And I phoned a bunch of these people up and said, you might not even remember me, but my name is Phil Sparrow and this is something I did to you and I'm sorry. I want you to forgive me. And <laughs> some of these people went, what? <laughs> and others went, ah, oh, okay, yeah, I'd sort of forgotten about that, but I forgive you, weirdo. And others, I think, were genuinely touched. But it didn't matter. Their reaction was irrelevant. What mattered was that I needed to, to unburden myself um, with, before God with them. Maybe there's something in you that needs that. Well, like I said, Barnabas was able to see in John Mark a guy who needed a second chance. And I think Barnabas is the exemplar in some respects in this story, the model. He is showing the heart of God. God knows we let people down. And God knows we let him down all the time. All the time. Barnabas somehow understands this about God. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because Paul himself, only a few years earlier, was running around seizing Christians, accusing them, dragging them off to jail, overseeing their deaths. But Paul was given a second chance. Paul himself was given an amazing second chance when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. But that's okay that Paul at this point can't extend a second chance to John Mark because Paul's on a journey, just like the rest of us. And maybe in, in years ahead, Paul might have looked back and gone, you know, I blew that. I should have given that guy John Mark a second chance. Or maybe he thinks, no, no, I, it was the right call then. But he had grown into a person who was able to give people second chances. We, again, we don't know. The point being that at that point, Paul couldn't. Barnabas could. And Paul, having experienced a second chance from God, um, we can, I think, assume that he was on a journey where he would have grown more into that sort of person who can also give others second chances. So does it matter that Paul didn't want to give John Mark a second chance at this, at this stage? Not really. Just as we all fail, we also all hold on to pain. We fail to forgive. We don't give second chances. We refuse to trust again. And sometimes it can feel very, very hard to trust again, especially after a big, painful hurt. Sometimes you just don't have it in you. Sometimes it's wise not to. I would have been foolish if I had, immediately on receiving back my checkerboard Esmeralda, said to the Boromers, hey, we're going away again next week. Can you look after Ezzy again? It would have looked foolish, wouldn't it? But that's not to say that in years to come, they could not have grown into people who could look after an animal responsibly. And in fact, they did. Of course they did. So, wisdom is contextual in that sense. And perhaps Paul's call at that point is exactly right. I think we can assume it probably was from Paul's point of view. Here's the summary. In this story, we are all John Mark. You're all a person who's failed to perform 
to the standard God wants. You've all shown cowardice, failure to trust, failure to act the way you should. I have. I do it every day. But we are also Paul, holding on to hurt, refusing to trust, going it alone, choosing, no, I'm not going to trust this guy, I'm not going to work with this guy. And we are also Barnabas. We let people down. If you haven't, you will. If you have, you will again. We find it hard to trust people. We hold on to pain. If you think, no, that's not me, I don't hold on to pain, you're wrong. You do hold on to pain. Sometimes we build our identity around it. I know some guys who don't seem to be able to exist without pain in their, pain in their lives. Even when things are going really well for them, they create a catastrophe. I don't know what's going on there, but they've somehow built their identity around someone who struggles. I'm not sure that's right. But God gives us a way to reach out again. And if you think, I couldn't do that, I've been hurt too badly, then you are wrong. I was wrong. When I refused to trust Bruce, that was a natural reaction at the time. It would have been wrong if I'd held on to that in perpetuity. It would be wrong if I was sitting in front of you today saying, I'm never going to work with that guy. I have worked with him. We've had fellowship, and I think there's forgiveness. There's still pain, but there's also forgiveness. And those two things do sit together. You will find in coming close to God that Jesus softens, softens the pain and helps you do it, helps you reach out. So let me bring back to your mind these. I didn't, I didn't tell the full story um, to the kids earlier, but this, this story isn't mine. When we lived in India in, in 96, we worked at a drug rehab center, Julie and I, um, and most of the people there were heavy drug addicts. Uh, who had, in India, drug addiction looks a lot less civilised than it does here. Not that it looks civilised here particularly, but, you know, it's, it was rough. These were rough guys. Um, they had murdered, they had killed, they had... And many of them were still using. It was an interesting drug rehab centre. The part of the theory was your own healing is found in healing others. So many of the people were still using whilst helping others on the journey to recovery. Uh, it was a very Christian model. And I remember Dean, who was this fantastic, smart, young Indian accountant, been to Delhi University, very bright, and he was running the finances for the house, and he'd got his life together, and then he slipped up. That was a common phrase in Sahara House, I slipped up. And what it meant was, I'm back on, back on heroin, or whatever it was, amphetamines. And I remember Dean saying... Uh, you know, look at me. I'm a broken guy. I can't kick this habit. I want to. And I'm just a broken cup. But a broken cup can still hold water. And don't look at me, but just look at Jesus in me. 
And it was a beautiful, powerful image. Because Julie and I looked together. You know, we were the kind of bright, shiny cups. But we didn't have much in us. But, uh, but Dean, what Dean said was true. So, in this, even if you're a broken, battered cup that's been through the fire, you still hold the water of Jesus. And from that, forgiveness and love is found and flows. Father, um, help us to, to know that um, it's not about the exterior. It's about what you are doing inside of us and that you're living water. Um, there, is, there is no person so broken that we can't hold your water, your living water. We thank you for that truth and we thank you for the example of Paul and Barnabas and John Mark who show us what failure is who show us what pain is and who show us what forgiveness is. And all of us have those three things, failure, pain and forgiveness, um, growing and jostling and living within us. But we thank you that uh, because of you, um, the story doesn't end with pain or failure, but it, um, it ends in forgiveness and love and hope. And we thank you for these things. In the name of Jesus. Amen.